Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We're always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you'd like to know more about Walter's music. Thank you, Davine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. We're glad you're there. We couldn't do any of these shows without you. And I would also like to remind you that every Saturday morning, my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, and I gather on a Zoom call, 10 a.m. Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time. It's called the Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session. And if you would like to join in and spend an hour writing with us and reading your work, you're more than welcome. The door is always open. You can find that link at imaginativestorm.com. And as you know, if you've been listening to this show, I find all kinds of people to interview, some of whom I've known for many years, some of whom I've just met. I will say that if you have listened a little more closely than usual, you'll hear some background noise. You'll hear a rooster, you'll hear some birds. Now, why would you be hearing birds and roosters? Well, the reason why is because I'm sitting with Marvin Ani, and he and I are in a pavilion in a beautiful garden that he is in charge of. He's a botanist. We are in the Philippines. We are south of Manila, probably a hundred kilometers, and we are in a farm resort and Marvin is basically in charge of all of this beauty that I see around me. So I thought who better to tell us about plants in the Philippines than a botanist who does it for a living. So Marvin Ani, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Thank you for having me today. I, it's my pleasure. I just learned about your name. And you told me what your last name was about and what it meant. As my last name is Ani. It's a Tagalog term. In English, it means harvest. So it's related to my field. So how did you find this name leading you into the field? Or did you discover and using the metaphor of the field, the field, once you got in the field, did you think, oh my gosh, my name means harvest. Tell us more about how it all started and how it led you to where we are now. I come from a farming community in Batangas, Philippines, and we have a small farm there. My father started a small coffee plantation. Even as young as nine years old, the boys in the the house, wake up and go to the farm. People in the States, in Taos, New Mexico, where we air this, and in Asheville, North Carolina, they're familiar with farms. Farms, you know, sit on the hillside and people have barns and cattle and all the things that a farm has. When you say a farm in the Philippines, can you describe to us what it looked like, how your experience was as, as you were growing up? What are some of the differences between farm life here and 
and other places in the world? Or are there any differences? Maybe the scale in planting. In the Philippines, even if you have less than a, a hectare, they consider it a farm. So some are intensive uh, planting vegetables or orchards. For us, in a coffee farm, whenever there's no school, first thing in the morning, eat your breakfast and go to the farm. When you work with coffee, and I'm assuming that's the main crop that your yeah. farm had, how does that work? How do you farm coffee? We started with planting seedlings. We converted a rice field into a coffee field. It's a small-scale farm using community water because we don't have irrigation. It is an upland area, and there's no irrigation system in that area. So we depend on the water system for households in the barrio. How does that water system work? And has that water system been in place for many years, or is it a modern proposition? It's a modern system for drinking water. It's not for irrigation water. Did you always like working on the farm, or was that just something you did because you grew up in it? And is that how it, you moved from the farming situation in your hometown to the training that you now have to run something that is really rather sophisticated, this proposition here? It's a major influence. Uh, growing in a farm, doing all the works, and when I decided what course to take in college, I was choosing civil engineering or agriculture because I love nature and, and plants. Do you have a story you could tell us about growing up as a boy on the farm, something that that you remember a fond memory about how you celebrated or what your family life was like? I have a brother, so we're the one in charge in the farm. Uh, we go with, with our father. After breakfast, whenever there's no school, we don't have time to go out to other places. Even at a young stage, we have the responsibility. It's not just a chore or a job. It's to help our father in the farm. And so your father owned the farm, and then you and your brothers and your, the rest of your family worked, worked the farm. How many people worked the farm on a regular basis? Normally, for cleaning, maintenance work, my father just hired one or two. If there's more work or seasonal work, then my father hired additional. Now, in planting coffee and harvesting coffee, does it come in cycles? Do you have a season for coffee, or is it an ongoing thing? I actually don't know what a coffee plant looks like. I have no knowledge of how one acquires the coffee beans. Do they fall off the trees? Do you have to shell them from hulls? How do you get them? And I know they come green, yeah. and then you roast them. But what, what do those trees look like? What do the plants look like? And how often do you get to uh, harvest? It's seasonal. It's once a year thing. In preparation for pruning, you prune the stem, leaving only the productive stem so the plants can concentrate on, 
on certain areas so you will have a good harvest. And then when it ripens, it becomes red, the berries, but it doesn't ripe at, at the same time. So we do priming, the, the first, first harvest, first prime. Now prime in some terms, the prime coffee would be the, the best and then the sad coffee at the other end would not be the prime coffee. So are you talking about the prime being the, the best beans that come off or are you talking about this is the, the first? The first. The first. So but it's the, normally because it, they just harvest the ripe ones, the red ones. You have your, your harvest and you're harvesting these beans and you have the red ones which now I'm learning those are, those are the ones that are ready to go. They're the prime ones. Let's, these are the ones we want. So if you pick those red beans and then leave the others, I'm assuming they're green. So you get the red beans. Now, then if you were to take those red beans, could you roast them right away and make coffee the next day? Or do they have to rest? And, and, and when can you make coffee with them? Uh, uh, there's a two process in getting the coffee beans. One is the wet process and the dry process. Say more. <laughs> yeah. If in the wet process, the ripe beans are put in a machine, removing the, the outer covering. The dry process, you have to dry it under the sun and then put in a milling machine to remove the, the parchment, the so the, the beans are not really ready to go until you take them off the plant, do the wet or the dry process to get them cleaned up and ready to, to roast. And then in terms of a dry process, you, the sun dries them and after that you get them ready, you take the hulls off of them. And finally, you get the, the bean beans. that I see in the grocery store in downtown Manila or wherever I am buying my beans. So that's the end product. And those beans that are in the grocery store have been roasted. Sometimes you buy beans that aren't Our roasted. Person. Now, those are green, if I recall, but are they different colors as well? Most, uh, mostly it's greenish or on the beige brown side. Mm -hmm. But to retain the, the aroma, they don't roast it right away. Because when you roast it, and if you don't seal it, the, the oil, the aroma evaporates. When you, and you don't seal it properly, you lose the spirit of the cake. Spirit and yeah. the aroma. So there's a difference, a slight difference, I think, between the aroma and the spirit, although it's mixed together. It? The spirit, when you said the spirit of the coffee, your eyes lit up almost as if, it was some kind of magic part of the coffee. Is that true? Food gives us different satisfaction. And the combination of the taste, the aroma, makes the completeness of the food that we eat or drink. So when people listening to this show go to the local coffee, place, the Green Sage maybe yeah. is one of the coffee shops in Asheville, or World Cup in Taos, New Mexico, and they get their coffee, they may not be thinking about the, the spirit yeah. of the coffee that emerged out of the, of the good earth, yeah. of the ground.
Now that's, that's a compelling proposition and I hope people listening will think about that when they get their coffee. Say more about your enthusiasm for the spirit of coffee. I love this. <laughs> Here in the Philippines, we have different coffees. Different combination leads to different tastes, different aroma. Just like wine with a different spirit, coffee has it too. When you were working on your family farm, did you have one particular species you worked with, or did you work with, with different kinds? Uh, we work with two varieties, but mainly Robusta, because it's a commercial variety used. And when you finally end up with your coffee season over the harvest season, how much coffee do you have to take to the market? Oh, normally about 50 sacks. What would the weight be? Uh, one sack, 40 kilos. 40 kilos, 50 sacks, so that's, that's quite a bit of coffee. Is that the only product that you sold in the farm? And is that, is that an entire year's worth of work and uh, no. income for the farm? Uh, no, because we, in between coffees, we have other vegetables. It's for home consumption only. So all of those are consumed personally, or do some, uh, some of those go some, to market? Some, some goes to market, too. Now, do you still have that farm in your family? Is it still ongoing? Unfor unfortunately, we sold, uh, my father sold the farm before I graduated college. Really? So you weren't able to go yeah. home and take over the <laughs> yeah. farm? Yeah. So when you went away to college, you obviously had farming in your system, in yeah. your DNA. You were born right. there. And it's something that, you know, you love the, the spirit so of the whole thing. It's like theme. you breathe it. Even when, we, when I took classes in, in, in agriculture in my major subjects. Did you find, as a practical farmer, someone who had grown up with it, did you find you were able to help other people in your college class understand the farming ways, especially people who were drawn to it but had not had that same deep experience you had as a child coming up through the farm? In college, not really, but after college, when I was employed by uh, farm owners, then I share my knowledge and my even enthusiasm. Hmm. How did your knowledge change the way you viewed farming or did it? I know it made your skill base much broader, so you were able to do much, much more. Were you surprised at the learning, how the learning informed the way you think about farming? And did any of your ideas change from when you were a boy growing up on the farm untrained as a botanist, and now you're a trained botanist. Any changes in the way you view things? Even farmers' practices, cultural management, some are really reliable. So whenever I work on a farm and they have farmers there, I normally look into their practice 
and and if it's working i'll just keep it or improve it so what would be an example of a practice that you noticed that you felt like needed to be improved and the people who were working were open to your suggestions what would the change look like normally what i do uh, if i want to change something i normally set up their practice and then beside it i'll have another setup so they can see the difference and then incorporate the two even they will appreciate what you're doing the improvements that you made because uh, old farmers have fixed mindset it's hard to innovate <laughs> and that's true on lots of <laughs> levels come on <laughs> so to see is to believe the saying holds true to see is to believe so can you tell us a story about an example of when you did that and you showed the farmers another way to do it i love the idea of old way uh, a new methodology creates a third way of doing things that blends both so what what's a little story you could tell us i mean because i, I even work with on a vegetable farm before i came here because we used to plant cucumbers even the trellising the fertilizer management and the uh, insect control normally they will say that i sprayed today there will be no pests tomorrow up to certain number of days to be safe to save even money for inputs for integrated farming system uh, you just observe it if you need it spray it if you don't need it don't spray and so how did this work out with the farmers it really helps when they see the result because the poison that you're putting in the plants if you're using chemical fertilizer is really one thing to consider when you're buying or eating vegetable or fruits you you will ask where did you get this one or how do they farm it and the trend is going to natural farming or organic agriculture less pesticide less chemical inputs so more and more farmers for for small farmers i think they go into natural or organic farming which brings us around to where we are right now we are in a beautiful environment i'm looking around at the different plants i can't identify all the plants but i know you have looks like beans maybe and uh sitao uh, string beans tomato butternut squash eggplants tell us about how this farm serves the farm resort that we're on now i know that i've been here for 3 or 4 days and we've had great meals we've had eggplants we've had fresh lettuce all sorts of delicate propositions I'm assuming a lot of that comes from the farm does most of it and tell us about about this place its name its location how you contribute to its welfare This is Lolodo 
natural farm. Before it became a resort, it started as a farm producing salad crops, mainly lettuce and arugula. When I starter started here 2010, I was just a consultant then. Every weekend I came here. It's like a work and a vacation. Because it's a nice place, a peaceful place. So every weekend I have something to look forward to. And then working on the farm, helping them to improve the area and their practices. When we were on the other side, the resort area, the, the swimming pool area, that was the, the first area for the vegetables. But uh, later on, they want to make the improvements. Then the resort side came to be. I stayed in 2015 full time when they're making the pavilion. Came next the casitas, the deluxe, and the swimming pool. But after that, because the concentration on, is on the resort, the farm area gets smaller and smaller. And then most of the activities is concentrated on the pavilion. I left the farm 2016. So when I came back, they need someone to restore the farm area on a new area of the farm. This is, before this is planted to sugarcane. When I came here, it's, they have started, they have the greenhouse for lettuce, but the lettuce don't grow well year-round. So they put soil here, all our subsoil, more adjustment, more conditioning are needed. Are you able to move over to the resort and use? Are you using all of it or do you sell it to other locations? Uh, uh, priority of the farm is to supply for the pavilion, for the kitchen, especially the salad crops, lettuce and arugula. Because arugula in this area is hard to find. You, you have to go to Tagaytay. Even the herbs, you need to go to Tagaytay. So for the purposes of people listening, I just want to say that when we talk about farm to table, I am a three minute walk from the kitchen, from this farm. And when I first came, we had lunch and had one of the salads. And it seemed fresh. Now I know why, because it likely had been picked Within the within two hours of the time it was served, is that close? Less than two hours, Less. maybe. When you order in the pavilion for salad, the kitchen will call the farm and harvest lettuce arugula to make it farm to table. Yeah. I mean, it might even be fair to say not farm to table, but plant to table because it's straight <laughs> off the vine, from the vine to the table. Right? Skip the farm, forget for, that. that. That's for salads. They, they just order it when the customer ordered it in the pavilion, in the restaurant. Now, you don't have any meat in this situation here, do you? Or any meat that you use in the on the menu, does it come from local sources as well, or do you raise that here? Uh, I hear some chickens. Uh, no, that's not ours. 
We started, actually, we were using local meats. But we started some swines here. And maybe, and we're, we're planning on chickens too. Because the prices of meats right now are getting higher and higher with the increasing price of fossil fuels. Oh my goodness, so you could extend into so we're expanding swine farming or pig farming in small into scale. chickens, do it here for a cost, but nothing compared to what it would cost yeah. you if you had to go down That's the street them. and pick it up from the local uh, butcher or oh, yeah. farmer or whatever. Are you organizing that as well? And do you know enough about wildlife, livestock to... I, I do have some backgrounds too. But because it's here and they want to, to raise... And then now, with all my knowledge and experience in farming, they ask me what they need or what's the best way. So they're not interested in having the livestock on on this premises. Before, but they are now. No, they are now. So you'll move the cows <laughs> and the, move the the pigs and the chickens a little further down yeah, the line, are. so that they don't wander into the resort they contain, area. They just they have a a pen, big pen. So once you start into the livestock business, then you you have the livestock and they're wandering around being pigs and chickens, <laughs> then they have to be converted to the plate. So there's a whole process that's required for that, that somebody has to it's know true. about. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know anything about that, although I grew up years Butchering ago. And yeah, I grew up on a farm, or, or it wouldn't be a farm, but everybody had chickens and we yeah, had and a pig, and somehow those chickens managed to get onto the table for dinner on Sunday or whenever it was. So I know a little bit about that process. So what are you dreaming of for this farm? What do you want to make of it in the next, say, five years? Because we were started with a vegetable farm. This is just a small area. We're going to expand it on the other side with fish pond here. And then on the other side is a fruit orchard. And maybe in the next two or three years, though it's not fruiting, I hope that I can set it up for, for the farm. At some point, you far exceed the need for the resort. I mean, the resort's a fairly nice small resort. I don't know, it can bring in 40, 50 people per time if it's full. And I think they may be planning on adding a few uh, other buildings yeah. so that it'll make it a little bit bigger. But this will never be more than a boutique resort. It won't be some big sprawling proposition. At some point you'll exceed the need to feed the resort. Is that when you're going to expand this farm to sell product to other people? Right now we're selling, if we have supply, we sell it to other people, customers from outside, uh, community from Punta Puego, Tali Beach, nearby villages. They ask because they know we're selling vegetables. They inquire if we have available vegetable right now, they come here. Ah. But priority is the resort. And if we have excess production, 
we let them know that we still have available vegetable and they just come here some are calling make, making reservations they just pick it up here I'm thinking about all the disrupted supply lines we have around the world right now and how your supply line is the, the road between here and the resort, which is the four minute, five minute. It's, it's, it's no more than five minutes if you walk really slow, right? The cost you incur here in order to service the resort, I don't know how much you must be saving, but it must be a tremendous amount of money compared to what you would have to spend if you were depending on the supply chain and the supply lines from outside. We can look at it at two ways because the farm is like the, the description of our manager is, is a park. More than the vegetable that we produce, there's the aesthetic value. Uh, the goal is just not to produce but to showcase the area. So it's like you're in a park or you're in a tourist spot. You can see different vegetables, different practice. So it's not just producing, it's more on the tourism side of it. So people come here and enjoy being part of the whole proposition. I've had that experience. I came down here, met you, asked you if we could do the interview. I'm it's sitting a, here with the motorcycle going by and the birds and the ch chickens and the... It's a holistic approach. Right. Uh, and the trend right now in the Philippines, you earn more in agritourism than in producing vegetables or fruits for small farms. Oh. So you can this send, is the draw then, the farm yeah. resort, right? Yeah. So you attract more for the resort or tourists that can stay here without them buying something here, but they are attracted for accommodation and other, or just for the pleasure of seeing something different. And they certainly go away and talk yeah. about it and remember the Maybe the first time they will not buy, but they will, if they experience a different thing here, they will come back and then, then free advertising all you have to do is eat one salad and you'll be back because yeah. that's, that's my experience. This work you do, going back to the spirit of the coffee, there seems to be a spirit infusing you with enthusiasm for this work. Is it almost, I wouldn't say religious, but it's a spiritual sense almost, isn't uh, it? It's what we call the passion for our work. Because we, we're not just working, it's a way of life. It would be fair to call it artistry? Yes, because agriculture is a combination of art and science. So you combine the two, you can see also the beauty in it. Even the orientation, the landscaping, there's art in it. It's not immediate art. It's the kind of art that teaches you patience, I would think, because a plant yeah. doesn't grow overnight. <laughs> Maybe one, some do, but not many. And then it's not always good. You plant today, expect to harvest after a month. Now, do you think 
you can communicate with the plants and do you think the plants have personalities aspen trees in the in the states in the rocky mountains of the western part of the u.s the aspen trees will grow in vast forests they look like a forest but it's really the root system shooting the aspen trees up like bamboo and so apparently the aspen trees are operating as one unit the entire forest is one unit communicating amongst themselves do you have that experience do you look at the banana tree or the the beans and think i can hear them speak <laughs> they're part of the living things so though the communication we don't have direct communication i couldn't interview the banana yeah. tree right you now. can talk to them but they you cannot hear them talk back <laughs> but if you're really into plants or animals sometimes you talk to them in your experience do you think that actually happens do you believe that happens because you've been at this a long time you've been working with plants I, I myself talk to them to the plants and if there's you do anything just to make it work for us it's part of the cycle of life maybe it's violent for some killing animals just for food but in reality even for forests or i know there's a cycle and you're describing something as ancient and modern all yeah. at the same time there's yeah. no way to avoid that i'm sitting here with you right now coming near the end of our time together and i'm recording this on a, an iphone we have nice mics connected to our lapels that's the digital space people will listen to this over the digital space this will always be analog we will never have digitally produced beans we might have artificially created beans by way of some sort of genetic research in scientific laboratories but the earth the grass the beans they will always have that cycle uh, the natural cycle will always follow. Well, Marvin, that's a great place to conclude our conversation. The natural cycle will always, always follow. follow. Do you have any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? For us to have our purpose in life, to see it, knowing that you made a difference, have the fulfillment in life, not just comparing with others, just for yourself. Contentment is relative to have the self-fulfillment, having the purpose or beating the purpose in life of being here. Perfect closing words. Marvin, thank you for taking the time out of your work day to sit here on this pavilion in the shade in this warm climate and tell us about this farm that you love so much. So thanks so much for being on the show. And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Marvin Ani in the beautiful gardens of Casita de Victoria near Tali Beach, about a hundred kilometers south of Manila in the Philippines. Marvin had to step away, but I'm still here on the pavilion finishing up the show. I thought, why not do a little field report while I'm sitting here in the gardens? I enjoyed Marvin's story about how he grew up 
working on the farm, and it reminded me a bit of my own years growing up in western North Carolina, around what amounted to a barn and some gardens, although my family was never commercial like Marvin's family was. So as I'm sitting here in the gardens, you can hear the, the roosters and the other garden things around me as I'm talking to you. Growing up in western North Carolina, we didn't have all the birds that Marvin has here, nor do we have the lush areas. Not to say western North Carolina is not lush in the summertime, but in the wintertime, it's cold. Here in this area, at this farm resort, the weather is always mild to hot. It's lush, it's green. And as Marvin pointed out, you can have something come up out of the ground and six weeks later, or sooner you can harvest it, like the lettuce that they grow here all around me. I have to say that I was a bit surprised when Marvin told me that this evening when I order my salad for dinner, the staff will call down to the farm and the farm will bring the salad up fresh picked. I am still kind of shocked by that or at least thrilled that that's going to happen again today. So one of the things I like about it here, there's no stress. I've been hanging out, watching the sun come up and watching the rain come and then walking a bit around the grounds. One of the things that you'll find here in the Philippines, you won't find in North America, in Europe, in places further above or below the equator. The sun comes up at the same time and goes down at the same time almost every day. So by 5.30 or so, you have light, and by 6.30, going on 7, dusk comes and night falls, and you have the evening. And one of the things I've rather enjoyed here, when the evening comes, you can hear all kinds of creatures in the trees and dogs at a distance barking and sometimes even roosters crowing at distant farms. So the roosters crow at night here and the evening sounds are rather loud and it's still hot in the evening. But not so much so that you have to get inside. You can sit out in the pavilion and eat your salad and be relaxed. And this is a stress-free environment, although I have to tell you, I have been creating a little bit of stress for myself, and you'll find this funny. Not because of the resort. My goodness, I could sleep here and not worry about a thing. It's because I have been trying to create 45-second reels for Instagram. Now talk about a contrast. The contrast between this beautiful farm resort, the garden I'm sitting in, and Marvin and I did talk about the analog digital spaces that we all function in. So the contrast between the peaceful grounds and me walking around with my selfie stick, my microphone clipped to my lapel, my Tilly hat on, and my shirt walking around trying to create reels with what I'm calling the imaginative storm prompt of the day. It's really, really funny, and actually, it's successful. I've been doing pretty well with it, although I say stress because I'm out there trying to get it right, holding up my selfie stick, 
trying to create the right angle and then looking into the selfie stick and say hi I'm James Nave and I'm here with your imaginative storm writing prompt of the day you can write for as long or as little as you like and then I say and here's your prompt whereupon I try to position my selfie stick on the subject that I've chosen for the prompt and this place has tons of prompts as you might imagine by the pavilion where you eat the salads, and I'm going to eat my salad a little later, there are five stone turtles sitting in the yard. So I was out there earlier today with my selfie stick, trying to position myself to say, and here's your prompt, and then turn the selfie stick and get the right angle for the stone turtles, and then turn back and say something memorable like, I wonder what you'll do with that. I enjoy making these. 45 second reels and yet it is stressful like I said because I I'm trying to get one that works so I might have to do four or five takes on one before I come up with the the reel that I think will work for Instagram and I have to say uh, Laker Houston and I we've been working on this imaginative storm project for a long time and the reels are part of the daily prompts that we're offering people through Instagram and when we first started to do the reels under a minute we we were getting 400 500 views and we probably are getting people at least to look at half the reel because it's only 45 seconds so it's hard to not see some of it anyway so now we're getting higher and higher numbers sometimes as many as a couple of days ago we topped 3,000 views on one of the reels so it's actually quite fun to do and not that challenging but it is a little stressful the best one that I did which I did yesterday happened on the bridge that goes out of the resort and the bridge crosses a little bit of a water body so I was walking along looking for different prompts trying to find something that caught my eye and I saw this small catamaran it was blue a bit tattered clearly it had been left behind it, on the mud flat it wasn't part of the farm resort it was somebody else's catamaran and when I say small I mean about the size of a large canoe so it wasn't much of a boat and as I was looking at it I thought well that would make a good prompt and the way I framed the prompt was quite easy I stood on the bridge and talked into the camera while the background was green and then I turned and actually managed after two or three takes to get the right frame for the boat and then I said your prompt for today is things left behind what have you left behind and then I turned the camera back and made a few more comments and closed it out at 47 seconds and what's interesting about that boat or any of the other prompts I saw around the resort as I wandered about, there was a tree, there's a soccer field on the resort where the children from the area come and practice their football. I did a prompt about the soccer field, I did one about the tree, a little bridge that crossed over a small stream. I did one about the bridge crossing over the small stream. And I make up the prompt on the moment, in the moment, when I'm looking at the tree or the soccer field or the bridge. And this brings me around to why sitting in this garden is so exciting. 
I can look around this garden and I see eggplants and beans and I see banana trees and other things as well as garden implements. And guess what? You can use anything as a prompt. Moving this idea away from the garden I'm sitting in now to where maybe you might find yourself later today. I recently was grocery shopping at Smith's in Taos. Smith's is a grocery store in Taos. If you live in Taos, you have probably been to Smith's the last week. And if you don't live in Taos, likely you've been grocery shopping. I was sitting in the parking lot of the grocery store thinking about how everything can be a prompt. Now, I have seen ravens in the parking lot at the grocery store at Smith's, and they're out there. I think they're trying to steal the chicken out of the grocery bags, but I'm not sure. Now, the birds here in the farm resort where I'm sitting now, I haven't seen any big birds. We have little birds here, so I doubt the little birds here in the garden will try to steal groceries from the grocery bags or the lettuce from Marvin's hands when he carries it to the kitchen to make salads. Even so, the ravens in the Smith's parking lot were really active. Now one could write a prompt about a raven, and ravens are rather dramatic birds, and there's all kinds of terrific things you can do. The mystical aspects of the raven, or Edgar Allan Poe's quote the raven nevermore, the poem but by the same name, The Raven, Once Upon a Midnight Dreary, As I Pondered Weak and Weary. You could do that. You could talk about ravens forever and forever. They're great prompts. But I didn't write about a raven in the parking lot at Smith's. I was sitting there, and I don't remember if there were ravens around. Probably a few crows flying by. And I looked down at an old truck. And I looked at the front wheel of the old truck, and I looked at the rusty lug nuts holding the wheel onto the truck. And I thought, what would it be like if I wrote about rusty lug nuts on the wheel of an old truck? Well, right away, my imagination started to leap around. Now, I'm bringing this up because I want to just remind you that wherever you are, there are prompts sitting there and you can do whatever you want with them now I don't know what kind of piece I would write about a rusty lug nuts on the wheel of an old truck because I actually didn't do the prompt it was more I thought my goodness I could write about that and then I looked across the street at Ace Hardware and I thought I could write something about Ace Hardware or I could write about the red light just north of of McDonald's. When I say just north, you can hit the thing with a rock. I don't recommend throwing rocks at red lights, but if you wanted to toss a rock from the McDonald's parking lot in Taos, you could hit the red light. And you could write an entire bit around rock tossing from McDonald's parking lot to red lights dangling above intersections. Like I said, when night comes here at the farm resort, it gets dark really fast, and all the creatures start singing and the dogs bark and the roosters crow and 
how about those sounds for prompts? What would happen if you were listening to night sounds? Say you're in Western North Carolina right now, and it is summertime, and you're listening to all those night sounds. What would happen if you sat on your deck for 20 minutes and just jotted down thoughts inspired by those night sounds, or the rusty lug nut, or the raven, or the little birds in the garden where I'm sitting? Coming back to that red light just a little bit beyond the McDonald's in Taos on the hill going up to the plaza and the World Cup and the Taos Inn and further on past the post office, that red light is there 24 hours a day. It dangles above the intersection at 3 a.m. No cars. It also dangles or hangs or however you would like to describe it above the intersection 5 p.m. Friday afternoon, busy traffic coming into town to spend the weekend. Same red light, two different stories. The red light at night above the empty intersection. The red light during the day when the traffic's going by. So I think you can get the sense that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you can make a prompt about anything. So, I encourage you to look around wherever you are and tell a little three-minute story about the tree in the yard or your dog or your cat or whatever strikes your fancy. And, of course, you can use the environment you're in as your prompt, the whole total environment. I'm sitting in this garden looking around at all the things here. The more I look the more I am able to see the, the layers of the garden. I look around and I can see how this small little porch pavilion in the middle of all this greenery was made. I can see the, the lines that were drawn in order to create opportunities for the beans to grow. I see the tall trees in the back. And those trees are planted in different at different distances from one another. So the entire environment can become the prompt you're working in. Now I bring this up because I have been doing something that has surprised me in the last six weeks or so. Allegra Houston, whom I've mentioned many times in this show, my, my creative collaborator, has been encouraging me to write a quote-unquote memoir. I haven't really hesitated I just haven't gotten around to it mostly because I thought well where do you start with a memoir and how do you go about it now the reason I bring this up is because she gave me the answer and this might be helpful for you as well she said well you don't write the thing from beginning to the end you don't come up with a start and take it to the finish if you really want to write a memoir the memories the, the the notions of your of your life start anywhere you know and it brings back it brings us back to the raven and the wheel the lug nut or the the old deserted boat on the mud flat start anywhere Allegra said and right into each memory for 10 minutes or three pages a day and don't worry about if the memoir is going to have a beginning a middle and an end we can always piece that together later. Just start and go, and then the next day start and go and do that 
again and again and again until you get finished or until you know you are done. Now I bring this up because I have been doing this for the past four or five weeks and I have to say it's been rather dynamic. I've remembered things that I'd completely forgotten about like the first time I bought a whole bunch of really fancy new clothes at Gentleman's Gallery across from the library in downtown Asheville. My buddy Alan owns that shop and I went in one day, this was a long time ago, and said I need some new duds and oh my goodness he really really fixed me up and I walked out of there with a jacket and some trousers and some shirts and a belt. I splurged. I'm not going to tell you how much money I spent. doesn't matter but I will tell you that I came out with more than one bag full of good stuff and some of it I still have to this day and that was a long time ago. I had forgotten about that. Now will that appear in a book that you will read? Likely not. Who cares about going shopping in a little store? And yet the story isn't that I bought trousers. The story is my relationship with Alan and how he was always so friendly when I walked in and he didn't care what I had to say. He was always interested in listening to me until a customer walked in and then he would turn his attention to his customers or his customer and, and off we go. So that's what I've discovered in this memoir. Now the reason I bring it up because I've been here at the farm resort. I've been getting up very early and excited about writing. So I've been going out on the porch. Now as I've said, it's hot here, but it's cool in the morning, but still it's a cool kind of heat, if you know what I mean. So I sit out on the porch listening to the roosters and the dogs bark as you're hearing them now. And I have been writing into my journal. And then after I finish writing into my journal, and I do it longhand, I like to do it longhand, and I like to write with a fountain pen, which I've kind of worn out. It's sort of beat up fountain pen now, but it's my, my uh, treasured fountain pen. I like to write with the fountain pen, and, and then after I finish writing, I hit command twice on my MacBook Air and dictate what I've written on the page into my computer. So I have a Word document that I can work with. Will any of these stories ever make it into print and land on your shelf? I maybe hope so. But more, it's research into my own life. I am using whatever's around me as a prompt to jar my memories and help me write into what I don't know what I don't remember and help me discover those things anew. All of that's in there. So tomorrow morning when I wake up here at the farm resort, I will step outside and open my book and generate some more material while I listen to the morning emerge out of the, out of the night. So it's been a real pleasure sitting here in this garden talking to Marvin and now talking to you and listening to all the, the creatures move around me and muse about things that just come up as I am talking. So I really do appreciate you listening to this show and the different approaches that I take. I've been at this a long time now, almost five years, and I'm grateful to be able to 
still wander around and do these field reports. I'm glad the pandemic, while it's not over, it has lessened a bit, and I'm able to get back out again, and hopefully as time goes on, I will be able to bring you more reports from the field. And on that note, from the farm field, from Marvin's Gardens, I'd like to remind you, you've been tuned in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, out of Taos, New Mexico. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song. WalterParks.com Devine Dial Hats off to you for managing WPVMFM We couldn't do any of these shows without you And that's why I'm grateful And I know the other contributors are as well If you would like to connect with me You can email me at Nave N-A-V-E is how you spell that Nave at JamesNave.com Or Nave at ImaginativeStorm.com both work and both will land on my screen and I will email you right back would love to hear from you and if you'd like to join me any Saturday morning for our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session Allegra Houston and I will be there on Zoom 10 a.m. Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time the door is always open and you can find that Zoom link at ImaginativeStorm.com we write with writers from all over the world people come and go and it's just great fun we laugh a lot read some work have a salon conversation and generally have a really nice time and on that note i hope you're able to tune in to another show sometime soon and until then i'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line